Hey there, welcome to January Men, the January Boys fan cast. I'm a man out of time with no place to be and no one to love. And I've never seen stars so bright. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the second episode of the series, uh, the original BBC4 series, January Boys. And um, I'm very excited about it. I'm so, so excited. You guys don't even know how excited he is. I'm just, my frills, you know, are just like, that's how excited I am. I don't get that excited very often. Not often. Not usually. There's got to be like a hunk of meat lowered with uh, like some kind of bright color sprayed around it in a circle. That just juicy visceral. Ah, I love it. Okay, but uh, that's not what we're talking about today. We'll have a food episode eventually, but um, right now we're talking about the second episode of the series, January Boys. Which is kind of a cool episode. You know, we get to see the two boys take separate paths. Uh, two different little tiny separate adventures. Which is great, because we've seen Jeb and Joe together in the movies, and we've seen them together in episode one, and now we really get to see uh, how they function individually. And it's a great showcase for Eric Andre this episode, too, because he's the newest cast member for this. So it's nice to see him with his own storyline. So he really, this is where Eric Andre really uh, gets to establish his take on Jeb Bush. Yeah, and he, he does a great job, I think. Uh, in this episode, it's probably one of the most heartwarming uh, Jeb episodes. This episode starts out in at the end of a rehearsal of uh, the high school's production of Sam Shepard's Curse of the Starving Class. And uh, it is, of course, directed by... Uh, Professor Squalor, or Miss Squalor, or Esme Squalor. They're rehearsing the scene where Jeb, who plays the the dad, and Joe, who plays the kid, are arguing. And uh, there's another student dressed up as a lamb uh, just in the kitchen. And so they kind of end it. um, it's, It's Joe goes over and he goes, you know, you're lucky this isn't someplace like Vietnam and they're talking about how they'd slaughter the lamb, and, and he's actually, you can tell that the the young woman playing the lamb is terrified, um, or she's a really good actress, but I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of energy in this uh, short, sort of short thing, and um, Squalor has to clap her hands and quit it. She goes, hey, calm down. Also, don't forget about our science test. I teach both. She looks directly at the camera and says, I teach both. Wink. Because women are powerful. And then it's like, do-do-do-do-do-do. And that's sort of their PSA for it. And then you hear the bell ring for, like, the official end of class, and it kind of breaks, and uh, Joe sneaks up to Jeb, and he's like, hey, uh, science test? Uh, Was this something that was assigned last week? And Jeb is like... Yeah, Joe, this is, we've been talking about it every class. You've kind of been drawing in your notepads most of the science classes, but we've really been focused on studying. It's going to be really intense. 
And then Joe's like, yeah, I've been working on that little, like, S where you don't really pick up the pen, and it looks kind of 3D. It's really cool. And, uh, you know, Jeb just kind of rolls his eyes and is like, Joe. And yeah. Joe's like, Rooster Man don't study. And Jeb's like, well, then Rooster Man's going to get a bad grade. I'm sorry. And he's, and he's like, I wish I could help you, but I got to get home and do my own studying. You're on your own for this episode, Joe. And by episode, I mean this point in your life, this linear amount of time, which could last basically until the test or whatever other memorable memorable event will occur. Now, that was an entire dialogue scene written by Tina Fey, who decided some at some point that she just wanted to... You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I really like that she just... For once, because writers don't... Enough. Not enough, yeah. Um, we never went over the fact that Tina Fey does play Miss Squalor, as well as write the show. Exactly. So that also just shows how active she was in this uh, program and the the power of her voice on this. And so you'll see a couple little meta nods that are like part of her kind of signature and her wit. And then. uh... Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how much she. So then Joe knows that. He's in a bit of a pickle because Lamprey Dad made a deal with him where where Joe's got to bring up his grades, where he's not going to spring for that Harley that Joe's been eyeing. Which is a shame. It's just a damn shame. So he hits the books, literally. The next scene is him boxing at Anton's uh, book cafe. And so he's just punching in the aisles. He's shadow boxing, and then he hits some of the heavier books. He hits Hamlet. He hits... Uh, Pride and Prejudice, he hits uh, biology textbooks. He doesn't really um, know how to study, because again, Rooster Man don't study. So then he's punching and boxing and knocking shit over, and and uh, Hippie Johnny, again, played by Tommy Chong, walks up and he goes, what are you doing, little man? And uh, Joe Biden is played by real Joe Biden, who is taller than Tommy Chong by a good couple of inches, so... I mean, it's kind of strange saying, hey, what's up, little man, to a taller man, but I, that's just Hippie Johnny, you know? He sees things in shades that we don't see. He's got his own way of looking at life, and Joe decides, well, maybe that's the kind of advice I need right now. So he discloses to Hippie Johnny, like, ah, I'm trying to study because uh, I got this test coming up, and if I don't ace it, I'm in a world of trouble. But man, I don't think I'm going to make it. And then Hippie Johnny... Lay some advice on him. He's like, you know, man, sometimes when I have a real problem, I just think about it real hard, man. And then suddenly I'm in another place, man. I'm like out there. I'm and out jo- there. And Joe's like confused for a second. He's like out there? Like how far out there? And then Hippie Johnny's like way out there. And then he takes a puff of a just giant fat joint like the world's fattest joint and uh he hands it to joe and they just kind of like smoke in the shop for a little bit because rooster man's cool you know and uh 
That's what he says to himself. He's like, Rooster Man's cool. Rooster Man's cool. And then it fades into the next scene, which is a Jeb scene. And Jeb's been out, like, picking berries because he's got a little scout guidebook, too. And one of the tasks is picking some berries. And he's like, well, I've mastered the scouting manual, but it never hurts to study again and make sure I'm really good at this. It's really important for his science test tomorrow because there is a berry picking section and identifying which berries are which. Rural Montana. Can't get enough of it. It's true. So he's looking around for these kind of berries and identifying them when he starts hearing a little mewling sound, like a little critter noise, like off in the bushes to the right. And he's like, oh, geez, I don't know any berries that make that sound. And there's no laugh track. There's just ten minutes of silence. And then after that, Jeb goes over to investigate the noise, and he reaches into this little bush where it's coming from, and he kind of parts it. He kind of just parts it, and there's like a little raccoon baby underneath it. And it seems to like, it looks like it's kind of gotten lost and separated. Like, it's not a full-grown raccoon. It's like maybe a couple weeks or something, and it's got big cute glittery eyes and it looks right up at Jeb and he's like aww and then you have one of these little shot reverse shots and he's like I found a new pet and he just picks it up puts it on his shoulder doesn't like he's not cautious about it at all and he grabs it real clumsily just like a child you know just like in one hand lifts it up plops it right on that shoulder, on his right shoulder. Eric Andre's Jeb sees the world with a childlike wonder that um, Hannibal Burris's Jeb doesn't really have, you know. Um, he's, I feel like by the time we get back to the, the second film, Hannibal Burris's Jeb has seen it all, you know, and Jeb, Jeb really grows in between the first and second film. So Eric Andre really, he makes a very strong choice in playing Jeb, and that he, and that choice is He's a total fool all the fucking time. He's just a child and an idiot sometimes, but lovable and great at books, good at schooling. But in terms of common sense, you know, not so great, which which leaves a lot of room for, like, lessons, which, I mean, this episode is all about how some animals and some people and sometimes the things you love can't be tamed exactly and they and he goes and skips off screen singing a little song he's made up about his new raccoon baby and then as soon as he's out of frame we see a pair of darker kind of larger glittery eyes in a dark patch of the woods do you remember the song that he sings the words to it i think it's something like i wish we had a youtube link we could like download it but something like raccoon baby i got raccoon baby Yeah, no, totally. It's like, raccoon baby, I got raccoon baby with eyes. Something like that, yeah. right? Like, maybe maybe if we try it together, we'll remember the <laughs> yeah, whole thing. Uh, I'll clean it yeah. with Vidal Sassoon, baby. <laughs> My <laughs> little raccoon, raccoon baby. baby. Yeah, totally, right. <laughs> I'm sure so, we, can really, we can really nail it if we just, three, two, one... Raccoon baby, baby, I got, got raccoon baby with some, some raccoons. Maybe. Maybe I'll be there soon, baby. baby. Well. He's laughing as he's doing it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, which that's, is, you're, that's great acting. 
Yeah, so I mean, this is if you look it up, you'll I'm sure you'll find a clip somewhere. It sounds exactly like that, uh, except with some kind of little vague tune below it, like just a little whistly tune below it somewhere. And then that whistle turns into a dark whistle when the glowing eyes show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're like, oh, what's this about? You think to yourself. And then you realize that there's been a deep voice narrator, uh, a guest spot by Sam Elliott, who sometimes does narration for the show. Just So you literally hear him say, oh, what's this about? And then it goes to the next scene. I love their choice of Sam Elliott. Just for everything that they do, you know? If there's a narrative voice and it's not Alec Baldwin for the show, it's definitely going to be uh, Sam Elliott. I feel like Jeb gets the Sam Elliott narrations and Joe and Joe gets the Alec Baldwin narrations, which does that mean that they're saying that like these are their life narrators or this this is the voice that they hear in their head, like that's how they think they sound? It's yeah, it's something that's been debated in online forums for a while and uh it's never had a definitive conclusion, but there're definitely some fan theories. And there's been some shipping uh about the two narrators in some forums as well in some fan fiction. Yeah, my favorite one is um, Narrators Talk at Midnight, which is, um, I mean, it's just great. It's by the person who does Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. Uh, So if you haven't read either of those ones, just a quick shout out. Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality and Narrators Talk at Midnight. Just great, very interesting, scientifically accurate fan fiction about narrators just talking, being in love, loving what they do. And it's nice that these worlds have their fan communities, and that's kind of how uh, this TV series has kept interest for a while, because it was canceled after this first season, but the fans kept loving it. I love the crossover fan fiction as well. Um, Like the Firefly, January Boys crossovers are pretty solid. Um, Those are good. The uh, Buffy the Vampire Slate. Pretty much any Joss Whedon joint combines fairly well into the January Boys universe. Because, um, I mean, who doesn't want to see our favorite uh, vice president-elect fight a vampire or be in space? Or who doesn't want to see Jeb Bush tainted by anything, really? Just tainted. Yeah, and uh, we'll have to do a whole episode on the fan fiction world, which has just exploded in the wake of, uh, I think, the TV series in particular. Because it was around a bit for the movies, but the TV series is re- really what made that uh, take hold. Which which is why they restarted the series and did that whole spinoff, and they're going to do the Netflix one, too. So I think that it's going to reach a younger, wider, a younger, wider audience. Exactly. So thanks, fans. Keeping it alive. Yeah. And, of course, our podcast has probably helped with our thousands of listeners. Indubitably. And then we're right back to Joe's story after that beat. And uh, he's still at the library with Tommy Chong, and he's been thinking. And you see it, the, the, the frame kind of phase out as Joe's eyes sort of slip. They're drifting, and then they kind of – his pupils roll up uh, towards the back of his skull – and you see kind of a double – you see his body step out of his body like a dual-layer image. And he's like, whoa. And Joe steps up and he's whoa. Rooster man, don't cognitively understand what's going on here. And Tommy Chong's standing up with his astral double, which is a purple version of, of himself, Hippie Johnny. And he goes, 
hey, hey man, man in stereo uh he goes hey, hey man, man you're all right and now that he's now that joe is in astral projection form he can see tommy chong's astrally projected self which apparently is just how he is all the time he's in two places at once which may contribute partially to his spacey demeanor hippie johnny's like welcome to the astral plane and Joe goes, whoa, and he coughs some astral smoke and takes a hit of that astral joint. He goes, I know exactly what I'm going to do now, and he does an astral kick through one of the bookshelves, and of course, he just fades right through because he's astrally projecting. He can walk through the material plane like it's nothing, like it's not even there. And he goes, righteous, and then he high-fives himself. And he's like, hey, I'm getting a real clever idea. And then he... Does another astral kickflip. And then Hippie Johnny's like, all right, cool, cool. Uh, I was trying to actually give you advice about that test, and I was going to remind you, you can go literally anywhere in astral form. You don't have to just kickflip through these shelves, although it's pretty rad. We cut back to him, and he's doing like some more, not kickflips, but just like flying kicks through things and like punching shit. And some books that have had, like, a long history have their own astral aura, so he's just, like, playing with it. And then uh, he looks up at Hippie Johnny, and he's like, Oh! Oh! You mean I could go into the girls' locker room? And Hippie Johnny's like, That is misogynist, Joe. That's terrible. That's a terrible thing to do. You should go steal the test answers, man. And he's like, That is a great idea. And he snaps his fingers, wiggles his nose, and goes, doink. And he boom, is in the uh, teacher's lounge. And he starts rifling through all of these tests. He goes, aha, there's Miss Squalor's test. And then, yeah, he's hold- so he holds up the folder that says test answers. But then we see, like, a shadow fall over uh, Joe. And he turns around and goes, like, Oh. Yeah, and then we cut back to Jeb. And uh, Jeb is hanging out with his new raccoon baby, humming that raccoon song. And um, he's feeding it lettuce, and he's feeding it little r- bits of meat. And it, basically it's a montage of him r- wrapping it up in different outfits and feeding it different foods. Um, so he's, like, it's kind of like, Raccoon baby, I've got a raccoon baby. And he's, like, feeding it sushi while he's dressed up as a fisherman. And, um, like, having it swaddled and just feeding it bottles of milk. And um, getting bitten by this wild animal and bleeding profusely. And then he has to go to the hospital. And then it's a shot of him getting a rabies shot while swaddling the raccoon baby still. And trying to feed it with uh, oatmeal. Which it doesn't enjoy. Yeah, and you can see the raccoon baby is a little uncomfortable. Like, I think it's getting a little more affectionate with Jeb, but it's still kind of reluctant, and it knows that this is a little odd. And then after the hospital thing, that that's just a blip in the montage. And then he's back at home, and he's got him in a little uh, mercenary. <laughs> he's got him in a little mercenary's outfit. <laughs> right, and he's eating, he's eating uh, EMPs. He's just got him eating uh, military rations and hiking rations. Uh, But, of course, because it's Jeb, he uh, doesn't realize that you have to put water in them first so that they would hydrate again. So he's just trying to feed this raccoon, like, dried uh, borscht, which is really bizarre with noodles. Um, And his puppet dad walks in and goes, Son, what are you doing? Waka, waka, waka. 
And Jeb's like, I got a new raccoon baby, Dad. Can I keep him? I'm going to. And George is George Senior's like, hmm. Well, I don't know about this one. And then he just looks at the camera. He just deadpans and goes, waka 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 waka. Because I think what they thought is if they say it enough times, the Muppets wouldn't sue them. Exactly. You had to do it like there's a mathematical formula for. Uh, for the legalese of it, which I I don't know how to get into because I'm not a lawyer. Yeah, not anymore. No, I just play one in a board game. And the George Bush puppet kind of backs out. You see the little the puppeteer just literally back him out the door, and then Jeb's kind of tucking in and adjusting the mercenaries' outfit, like the bandoliers with the bullets and all that. And he's trying to get them to have the right look. And he's like, I know what you need: a mini beret. There's one in the bathroom. And he goes off down the hall into the bathroom, and he catches a glimpse of himself in the mirror. And he's about to walk out, except that there's something strange about it. And he realizes that in his mirror image, there's a little bandit mask ring, like a little raccoon bandit mask ring around his eyes. And that there's kind of a a shape in the uh, mirror, and in the center of the bandit mask is the same glowing pair of eyes that we saw in the woods. He's like... Did I paint that on myself to bond further with the raccoon and forget about it? And then there's a whispery voice that sort of manifests and says, Return my minion. And then Jeb swings around and it's just like... And the camera's like zooming in and zooming out, zooming in, zooming out, zooming in, zooming out. And he's just horrified, just... Whoa, making all these crazy faces as um, he is attacked by a wild animal, the Raccoon King. Exactly. You see Raccoon, like, ghostly Raccoon paws reach out from the mirror and, like, grasp at his throat. And the claws, like, scrape by, like, his neck as they're wrapping around his throat. And he's like, ah, oh, I don't know what you mean. And he's like, I am the Raccoon King. You've stolen my minion. Return him. Return him. And then he manages to pry off the claws of the raccoon and throw it across the... You just see this ghost raccoon fling across the hall, and then he's ready, and he's got an AK in his pocket, and he just whips it out and starts spraying the hallway, which I can't be great for their insurance. But so Jeb just starts shooting... Right and left, and the Raccoon King comes back with a ninja star, and Jeb has to, sh- like, dodge it. And it's a really cool little uh, quick fight scene. It only takes place... It's it's pretty short, actually. It, it took us a while to explain it, but it it's pretty short. It goes by it, real quick. Yeah, it's just, whoa, and then it just goes back, and um, the little mercenary raccoon starts stabbing the Raccoon King. Yeah, and we learn more about the Raccoon King later in the series, but this is its first appearance. There are a lot of theories about the Raccoon King, but I think it's supposed to be like the embodiment of all evil or the embodiment of grief. There are theories that support kind of both of those because there are a couple different episodes where he pops in and it it could be kind of a number of them. So, yeah. Uh, But then uh, the Raccoon King winds up pinning Jeb like down in the bathtub and his jaws sort of hyper extend and he's leaning forward to seemingly like bite off Jeb's head 
and it it goes in. Then you do like a POV of the raccoon's jaws. And you, it kind of wraps around the camera, and then we, we're back in Joe's storyline. So that's it's pretty harrowing, and we're like, oh, what's going on here? So back in the teacher's lounge, it turns out Miss Squalor is the face that Joe's astral projection was staring into, and she can see him. And she goes, don't you know I'm psychic, boy? And she smacks him across his astrally projected face. Which, if it was a physical assault, would, would be assault by a teacher. But because it's his astral projection, it's totally fine. Which she explains as she takes him to the astral detention room by the ear. And the astral detention room is basically just old props from Twin Peaks' Red Room. It's just they're kind of worn down a bit. Mm-hmm. And they, they spray-painted them all pink so people wouldn't recognize them, you know? So it's just a bright pink room with a pink marble statue and pink and black uh, striped floors. And it's hideous. It's god-awful. You can see why they take people's uh, astral projections here for detention. They even borrowed uh, the Dancing Man from Twin Peaks to be the professor, and they also painted him pink. And he still talks backwards. Little known fact, that wasn't a David Lynch invention. The man just talks backwards. And so he's like... And Joe goes... Am I dead? And Esme goes, no, what the hell are you... You're going to be here for about fifth... Like, just the rest of the day, okay? You're in detention for the rest of the day, and then two hours after. Okay. And she leaves. She just closes the door. And the rest... And and Joe just spends the rest of it, like, trying to carve that little S into the floor. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so then we cut back to Jeb's storyline, where he kind of awakens with a start, and he's in the middle of the forest, and he's in the middle of a circle of little raccoons uh, staring at him, and he's laid out next to a fire that's like a roaring fire, and uh, at the head of the apex of this sort of circle is the raccoon king on a giant throne of squirrel corpses. Yeah, and um, the Raccoon King gives this like bone-chilling speech about equality and about um, his rights and about uh, the rights of of the fellow raccoon. It's it's a it's a it's a Brian Murphy thing. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's very much about you can you can obviously tell it's about the bourgeois and about the proletariat rising and the raccoons are supposed to like represent that uh, but honestly it just kind of when a raccoon says it yeah it it's scarier and then a, yeah. and then it starts segueing into a couple lines from curse of the starving class and we're like oh that's odd and then the scene sort of becomes like the raccoons start stepping in as the other characters and jeb has to re- just begins reenacting his role in Curse of the Starving Class. And they they do the whole play. Then he wakes up again, and uh, turns out he's just been cuddling with his raccoon baby's costume, and the raccoon baby is gone, and he starts to cry. He just starts to weep. And uh, his father comes down, puppets up, and goes, Well, I told you. And Jeb looks at him and he goes, what? I told you. And he points to a little note on the door of his room that says, beware the raccoon king. Yeah. 
And then it's like, son, you just can't have it all. Beggars can't be choosers. Choosers can't be anything. And then he just waddles off. And that's the end of the episode. It's kind of got that freeze frame moment where they learn a lesson. Um, and it's, it's, you know. Yeah. The image as the credits roll is uh, a shot of Hippie Johnny and Joe Biden in their literal forms with their eyes just rolled back in their skulls and they're kind of shivering and salivating as the credits just scroll up towards the top of the screen. So while they're astral projecting, their, phys- their physical forms have just been at Anton's. Yeah. So all in all, a hell of an episode. Quite an episode. Um, and it only gets better from there. It was very cohesive in terms of plots. Most of the episodes are. And um, yeah, can't wait to talk about the third episode. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show or hate the show, just share it, share it with somebody. You know, we're on uh, Stitcher Radio, Player.fm. Uh, Spotify, Buzzsprout, SoundCloud, and I think we're on Google Play. We were on Google Play for a second. Anyway, we're all over the place, so if you just tell your friends about us, I'm sure they can find us. It's January Men, the January Boys fan cast, January Men, and uh, sorry, I just, um, Wow. Lots of shame. Anyway, so, thanks for listening, and uh, tune in next time. Same time, same years. Is there anything you'd like to say before we head out? As always, keep January in your heart, and beware the Raccoon King. January Man is hosted by A.V. Eichenbaum and Davis Banta. Today's episode is brought to you by the letter T for Tired of Your Shit. Music by Brennan McKay. Tell your friends, those to you, whatever, man, who cares. <laughs>